you may be seated. service today has us singing a song after the message so if I try to close and send you out the door without singing another song at the end somebody throw a shoe at me okay I'll do my best to remember let's pray Father, we are here today to worship you. And we celebrate this day as the day that you enter Jerusalem for the final time. The the beginning of the, the last week before your crucifixion. And Father, we do come before you. We bow down. We exalt you as God. We recognize who you are, Father. And we thank you for what you endured for us. We can never imagine truly what it was like for you. But we know that it wasn't easy. That it was at a great price. It was the price of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. How often do you hear Paul's sermons from Nehemiah? Okay, now I want an honest show of hands. How many of you, when you think about Palm Sunday, have ever immediately thought of Nehemiah? How how many made that connection, put it together? That's all right. I hadn't either. (laughs) Although it's it's very obvious and very simple and very true what we're going to look at today. But before we get to Nehemiah, open your Bibles, if you would, to Zechariah. We're going to look at Zechariah first. Now, the easy way to find Zechariah is to go to Matthew, and then you go back to Malachi, and then Zechariah. That's the easiest way for me to find it. Instead of flipping through all 16 of the minor prophets and a few of the major prophets before I get to Zechariah. But Zechariah 9, verse 9. We have, we're going to look here as as prophecy declared and then prophecy fulfilled. Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt. The foal of a donkey. 
Luke 19. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 25, 29, sorry. And after he had said these things, he was going on ahead. Oh, sorry, that's verse 28, verse 29. And it came about that when he approached Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village opposite you in which you will enter, and you shall find a colt on which no one has yet ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks, why are you untying it? Thus shall you speak, the Lord has need of it. And those who were sent away and found it just as he said, excuse me, and found it just as he had told them. Verse 33. And as they were untying the colt, Its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and they threw their garments on the colt and put Jesus on it. Zechariah said that would happen. And Luke is verifying that indeed, just as it was foretold, Zechariah in, in uh, chapter 9, verse 9. Just as it was foretold, it came to pass. And we're going to look at another prophecy. Foretold, declared, and fulfilled. This one's a little more involved and a little more detailed. Turn with me to Daniel, chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Can you make that connection in your mind to Nehemiah? Listen to the verse again. So you you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, there will be seven weeks and 60... We're being given the exact time that, that when there is a decree given... The Jerusalem is to be rebuilt until Messiah announces his arrival is 69 weeks. Well, we know that in Daniel's prophecy that the weeks refer to years. Seven, one week is seven years, so if we have 69 weeks, it's 69 times seven years, okay? Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 2. If this, if this doesn't get you excited about the Word of God, I, I hope I'm able to bring it across, put it across today in, in a way that you'll understand so that it's, it's exciting to see 
the intricacies of the Word of God and the, the accuracy uh, of the, the prophecies. Nehemiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And it came about in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, Why is your face sad, though you are not sick? There is nothing but sadness of heart. And then I was very much afraid. Remember, this is the time when kings would lop off your head if they if you were in their presence and you weren't pleasing to them. That's why Nehemiah was afraid. Verse 3, And I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? Jerusalem. Then the king said to me, What would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. And then the king said to me, with the queen sitting beside him, how long will your journey be, and and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time. And I said to the king, if it please the king... Let letters be given me for the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forests, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city, and for the house to which I will go. Listen closely. Because this is where the clock starts ticking. And the king granted them to me. And the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me. Now, you know we've been talking to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah never tries to take credit for anything that God is doing and bringing his plan together. God's plan and God's time and God's way. And Nehemiah is a faithful servant, ready and willing to serve. But when King Artaxerxes, in verse 8 there where it says, and the king granted them to me, the 69 weeks starts. The clock is ticking. Okay? So here we have the decree issued that the city should be rebuilt. And without even realizing that he was part of God's plan and that he started that clock ticking, Artaxerxes, through God's hand, set it in motion and gave gave Nehemiah everything he asked for and even more than he had asked for. Okay, so back to verse 1 in Nehemiah 2. We come to the month of Nisan, Nisan, I'm not sure I'm saying that right, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. Now, King Artaxerxes, and I'm going to read my notes so I, so I don't mess this up here. King Artaxerxes came into power in 465 B.C. So this is his 20th year in power, so it's 445 B.C. March 14th, because it's the first of Nisan. Um, that is the equivalent to March 14th. The 69 weeks begin. 
there's a very specific start and a very specific ending to the 69 weeks. 69 weeks of years, seven days in a week, so seven years per week, if that makes sense. 483 years. Now their calendar had 360 days in a year, not 365 like ours. So that comes out, if you multiply 483 years times 360 days, you get 173,880 days. From the date that Artaxerxes granted Nehemiah his desires and gave him letters and made the declaration, what was at the other end of that? Today. The day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Does it, I mean, I still, I, I've studied it and I still get chills. To know that God's timing is so precise. Do we ever have to wonder, why God? Why didn't this happen yesterday? Or why couldn't this wait until next week? God has a plan for your life, and it is a very specific plan. Day by day, He has a plan for you. He has a plan for each one of us. And his plan here was set in motion by Artaxerxes, the king of Babylon that had dragged the Jews from Jerusalem, had destroyed the city. God is using Artaxerxes to set his plan in motion. Did anybody ever read that in the high school history books? I, I doubt it. Probably not. But God used Artaxerxes to set it in motion. 14 March... 445 B.C. plus 173,880 days equals April 6th, A.D. 32. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, who, who figured all this out? There's a, a, a Scottish fella, and he used to work for Scotland Yard. He was, he was the assistant to number two, so he was probably a pretty smart fella. Probably pretty good at deducting things, but he was also known, his nickname was he was the secret service theologian. Sir Robert Anderson wrote several books uh, on Bible doctrine, and, and he put a timeline and chronology together, and I'm going to trust his numbers, because David Jeremiah trusted him in his numbers, so I'll trust him too. <laughs> if it's good enough for David Jeremiah on this, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll fall in line with that. I'm not going to argue with it. Sir Robert Anderson, yeah. He worked in Scotland Yard from 1888 to 1901. And uh, he's, he's, the, he's the smart guy that figured all this out and put it together. But how incredible, how incredible that exactly to the day, and, and Zechariah's Zachariah's, um, prophecy was at least 500 years before this. And then you have Daniel's prophecy. And you have Nehemiah. What, what if, I mean, think of the timing of that. We think of Nehemiah and, and his brothers and friends came back from Jerusalem and, and the timing in the four months that Nehemiah prayed before chapter 2 of Nehemiah even starts. It's just incredible. It's just all lined up. 
It's amazing. Anyhow, okay, so now that we've looked at that prophecy declared by Daniel and Nehemiah, look, let's look at how it's fulfilled. Jesus traveled to Jerusalem every year at Passover, every year of his whole life. The path was familiar. The scenery was familiar. And on this particular Sunday, he, he began the 14-mile journey from Jericho. And he started up and he came to Bethpage and then to Bethany. And somewhere in between there, he sends his disciples to find the donkey. And he's going to come up to the Mount of Olivet, Mount of Olives. It's more or less a hill, not really so much as a mountain per se, as, as we know mountains. But then he's going to come down and look over the, over the valley, over the Kidron Valley, and he'll see Jerusalem in the distance, just a couple miles out. And as he comes down the hill, he's going to pass Gethsemane, where we'll, we'll catch up with him later in the week. But he's taken this trip every year for Passover, all of his 33 years. And never before has a scene been made. Never before have, have people cried out to him to, to shout, Hosanna to the Son of David. And Hosanna means come and save us now. And the Jews wanted to be saved. They wanted to be saved from the Roman oppression, from the Roman rule. Every year, Jesus made the trek at Passover to Jerusalem. Why is this year any different? He hadn't, he hadn't sought their attention before. But this trip to Jerusalem for Passover was a little bit different because to the very date it was the 69 weeks it was the 173,880 days from the day that Artaxerxes signed the decree for him to go back that's what made this day different that's what made this Passover special and of course we know that Jesus was looking ahead to what was ahead of him that week he knew he knew what was coming. So why didn't he run in the other direction? Because he had settled long ago with his heavenly father. What, his, what God's will was for his son. And Jesus was okay with that. Jesus was ready and willing to give his life for you and I as, as the atonement. To shed his blood that there might be a way of salvation for us. In Psalm 118:26 as, as he's coming into the as he's coming into Jerusalem well even before then between Bethphage and, and Bethany as he's riding on the donkey the people are shouting Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Psalm 118. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Thou art my God and I give thanks to thee. Thou art my God, I extol thee. 
Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Thou art my God, and I give thanks to thee. Thou art my God, I extol thee. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Okay, do, is, is anybody awake? Do we need to stand up, turn around, touch our toes? Wake up, people. Wake up. This is God's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. I know it means something different for us than it did to the Jews. But as they said, Thou art my God, and I give thanks to thee. Thou art my God, I extol thee. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness endures forever. That is the same God that we know. It's the same God that made the plan for his son, Jesus Christ, to come and to die for our sins. They were shouting. They were cutting the palms off the trees and throwing them down in the path as an as a, a, a act of respect. They were throwing their coats down. They wanted the Savior, Hosanna, come and save us today. Save us now. Turn with me to Luke 19. before they even reach the, the Mount of Olives, before they reach Mount Olivet, the people are shouting. They, it's, it's never been like this before. For all the years that Jesus has come for Passover, it's never been like this on the trek into Jerusalem. And, and the shouting is loud. It's almost a mob scene. The people are excited. The, the, the Pharisees have never seen him do this before. And in verse 39, and we read it earlier, and some of the Pharisees in the multitude said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Do you know why? He wanted, they, the, the Pharisees wanted Jesus to tell his disciples to basically shut up. Because the attention wasn't on them. It's about me, right? It's all about me. Everything is about me. You need to put me higher than yourselves, right? Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) The Pharisees wanted it to be about them. If, if Jesus was who he said he was, and the rest of the nation of Israel was going to acknowledge that, that meant the Pharisees were wrong. And they didn't want to be wrong. They wanted to be right, but they also wanted the attention to be on them. 
because they thought it was about them. Guess what? It's about Jesus. It's not about them. And Jesus answered, I love this. I love this verse. I tell you, if my disciples become silent, the stones will cry out. God created those stones. And he, His name is going to be declared if it takes the stones to do it. Can you, I, I, I don't know how a stone would cry out. It doesn't have lips to move. Or, you know, you get this visual. And, but somehow, some way, if we do not declare Jesus... The stones will cry out. The, the stones will declare His majesty. They will declare His kingdom. They will declare that He is God. If my disciples become silent, Pharisees, you don't know what you're asking for. Think that one through, guys. If the stones start praising God, how are you going to figure that one out? How are you going to explain that one? If the rocks begin to cry out and praise God. Pharisees, it's not you. It's not about you. It's all about the Son of God. And when he approached the city, he wept over it. Before we go any further... Turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, we know the story of of Lazarus and Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. They came, he was far off, and they came and said, our brother is sick. He needs you to come. And by the time Jesus got there, he'd been dead and in the grave for four days. John chapter 11, start in verse 30. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. The Jews then who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary arose up quickly and went out, followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus saw, or excuse me, where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Now you need to understand there's a little distinction, and our English language doesn't pick up the translation very well. But in verse 33, when Mary was and Martha were weeping, um, when it's, okay, in that, it's Mary there, excuse me. When Mary was weeping, and it also says the Jews that came with her were also weeping. 
That word means wailing. They were crying. They were almost screaming in, in grief over the loss of Lazarus. It, it wasn't just somebody sitting in the corner crying. It was, it was very outward, very vocal, very active wailing and crying. In verse 35 where it says that Jesus wept. It's the only time in the Bible that that word is used for Jesus wept. It, it, it was the quiet weeping. It was the quiet shedding of tears. It, it wasn't the wailing. It wasn't the noise. It wasn't the drama. It was the, the, the quiet, the quietness. And there was a weeping, but it, it's very different than what Mary and the, and the other Jews and how they were weeping. Let's go back to Luke. Luke chapter 19. Luke 19.41 And when he approached, he saw the city and wept over it. That was not the verse 35 weeping. This was the Mary type of weeping. This was a wailing. This was with great agony and great emotions. He wept over the city. And why did he weep? When he approached it, he saw the city and he wept over it saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days shall come upon you when your enemies will throw up a bank before you and surround you and hem you in on every side and will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. He's talking to the city at the same time he's talking to the Jews. He was weeping because he knew what was to become of Jerusalem. He was not weeping because he was afraid of what he was going to face that week. He was not weeping because he knew he was going to suffer and go to the cross for us and die a shameful death for us. That isn't why he was weeping. He had resolved that with the Father. He, that was his whole purpose in coming from, from the day he was born as a, as a baby. He knew and understood his whole purpose. He, he, he was okay with it. He was settled with that. That's not why he was weeping. He was weeping for what was going to become of his city where his kingdom will someday be established. He was weeping for Jerusalem. He was weeping for the people because they didn't get it. If, if, and, and Daniel talks about if, 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 the, if any of the Jews would have studied God's Word, would have studied the history, they would have known that this was His day. When He came over that hill, over the Mount of Olives, there should have been banners hanging from the walls of Jerusalem. 
Welcome, Messiah. The king is here. He's our hero. He's the one we've been waiting for. But none of them, none of them paid attention to his word. He gave them the exact days, number of days, from the time that Artaxerxes signed the decree. 173,880 days. This is when it's going to happen, guys. This is when I'm coming. Be prepared. Be ready. And they still rejected him. They didn't get it. Because as he's coming down the Mount of Olives into the Kidron Valley, he passes Gethsemane. He's going to continue on into the city. And he knows what's going to take place later that week, the betrayal. And he knows that with his crucifixion, the rejection is going to be complete. They will not acknowledge him as Messiah. And and they will not understand who he is and what he came to do for them. He wept. He wept. He wailed. He shed tears. He was in great agony. He showed great emotion as he was riding on that donkey. And with all the people shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, you you would think that he would be a little more grateful. But he knew what lay just a few days ahead. And And it wasn't the fact that he was going to die and go through the pain and the agony on the cross for us. It was the fact that his people were rejecting him. They were not acknowledging who he was. He cried because he knew that they searched for salvation in every place except where it was. He knew that that he was the Son of God and that he was to come as their Savior. And although on Palm Sunday, as we call it, because of, of what they threw on the road in front of him, again, as a sign of respect, he knew that by the week's end, their rejection of him would be complete. He cried over his sheep, and he cried over his city. He was in agony. For them, he loved them so much. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for his love for us. We thank you for the tears that he cried and and he understood. Father, help us to not reject you any day or every day. Open our eyes, Father. Give us understanding. Lead us to your word. Lead us to the meat of your word. Lead us to a closer relationship with you. Help us to understand how your word fits together. It's not by accident. 
because you are who you say you are. And Father, help us to say to the world around us that you are the Savior. You are the Son of God. You are the Creator, but you are the one who died for us. Help us to not be ashamed of that in in our community, in our families, in our church. Thank you for your word, Father. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.